David, I've got an unobstructed view of you right here today. It's an empty section. Some of you may not know this, um, that on, on the first Sunday of the month, a lot of times, uh, the service that's in Spanish, uh, they'll stay in here with us so that we all feel like one body and we're connected to one another, not just in communion, but in the teaching and the preaching of the word. And so if sometimes you think, well, they're, they're still here. Well, that's, that's why. And so they do that periodically. Um, by the same token, uh, usually on the second Sunday of the month, but this month a little bit differently, um, Alton and the Highways and Byways Ministry go to other congregations uh, because that's a community of believers that often uh, has a high level of mobility. He wants to make sure that even though they have been baptized at Northwest and our brothers and sisters here, that if their future takes them to other cities and places, that they know how to get connected and plugged into churches there. And so he's helping them to grow in their faith in that way. Um, and so again, exposing us to the larger body of Jesus Christ. Um, and so we're really blessed for that. And so if you look over here today and go, what happens? Does Kent never look at his right and everyone's just moved? Um, maybe. Um, but, but those other things are going on too. You know, last week we talked about the hands of God. The hands of God that formed Adam out of the dirt of the ground and Eve from his rib and that were involved in the crafting of of them, the hands, they're like a grandmother's hands knit together uh, your very body while you were within your mother before you were born. We talked about the hands that are the hands of the potter that shape you and mold you into who God desires for you to be. Sometimes needing to start over and recreate in you and through you to make you into his good and perfect masterpiece. We talked about the hands that protect, that care for, that guide, that guard, that do so much, and ultimately the hands that for those who are Jesus' sheep will hold on to you forever and that there is nothing in the world that can take you and remove you from God's hands. And yet at the same time, if, if that's our only understanding of who God is and what he's done, we run the risk of God becoming very ordinary, and so we need to have something that we lay on top of that teaching about the hands of God. And so this morning we're going to be talking about the glory of God. Because we cannot talk about God in such a way that he becomes so normal and ordinary and close to us that we lose our awe of who God is and what he's done. God cannot become uh, so boring and normal to us that, that we walk up to him and think, God, you're just, just God. Because he's much more than just God. God is filled with his own glory and goodness and all that is God. And, and when I think about this, I always think about going to the zoo. Um, going to the zoo, and, and when you're around the lions, I was at the lion exhibit some years ago, and I'm standing there, and here sits this lion that if I were to encounter in the wild, I would react very differently to this lion. But here with the lion with five inches of glass between us and this lion, children come running up to get as close as they can to this ferocious animal that is here in the zoo. And they get as close as they can. And, and one of the, the little kids says, it looks like a really big version of my kitty cat. And I think, let's take away the glass and see if you feel the same way. Because <laughs> you don't. You take away that glass and those children do not come running up going, let's pet the kitty. 
That lion sits up and looks at you and says, uh-oh, glass is gone. And we all go, uh-oh, glass is gone. And this is the way it is with God. We need two teachings about God, and, and it's almost always this way. When you need to talk about God's forgiveness, you also have to talk about His justice. When you talk about His mercy, you also talk about His truth. And over and over again, God has all of these tensions and all of these things that seem so extreme to us, but we have to hold them together. And so when we talk about the hands of God and how close to us and, and intimate to us, these pictures that make us get comfortable with God's nearness to us, we also need to remember that the glory of God is something else altogether. And when the glass is pulled away, God is not a tame God. God is something that is filled with passion and filled with all the things that are of, of God. So we have to be careful that we remember that God is not a human. He is not ordinary. He is not something that we should be casual about. Our God is awe-inspiring and in his own way terrifying. Not that he's mean, but that he is so much that those who come in contact with him and into his presence are struck by it. Are struck by it. And so today we need to look at what it is to understand and appreciate the glory of God. And I appreciate Lee's comments earlier. It is a, a difficult thing to describe and to think about and to understand. Uh, because you can talk about the beauty of something, and even though it's abstract, we kind of know what beauty is. And we can talk about uh, the, the awe-inspiring nature of something. And while that's still abstract, we all kind of understand what it means. But what does it mean to talk about the glory of something, the glory of God? You know, the word itself comes from the Latin word uh, gloria, gloria, which means fame or renown, fame or renown. But it also has the idea to it of, of understanding the worth of something or the weight of something. Do you understand the, the value that's connected to the worth of the thing that, that you have? Because if you're in front of something that has great value and worth, then it is, has great glory. If it is something that is very famous and very uh, of great renown, then it has great glory. And so what does it mean when we talk about the glory of God? And as I've been thinking about how to talk about it this week, I kept coming back to this idea of, of it's all of the things and characteristics and virtues that make up God his holiness, his goodness, his love, his mercy, his compassion, his justice, uh, even his judgment, his wisdom, all of the things that are of God combine and are made visible to us in his glory. The glory is the public-facing thing that humanity can see that reveals all the combined goodness of God in, in a single image, vision, in that moment. And we're going to talk about what that looks like. But here's what I want to do uh, to start out today, because I want us to get to encounter for just a small way what the glory of God is. And so I want you to think about the thing you love about God. Just one word. I love God because he is fill in the blank. God is wonderful because he is. And what is the word that you would use to fill in the blank and get one word and hold it there in your mind and think about how God is so completely full of that trait 
And here's what I want to do. I'm going to say God is wonderful because God is, and then I want you to say the word that God has placed in your mind that he is full of. So God is wonderful because God is... All right, this time we're going to do it one more time, a little bit louder. God is wonderful because God is... And if you take all of those things, I heard love and I heard gracious and I heard forgiving and I heard good. If you take all of those words and you magnify them to the most extreme version, to where it's not just a small congregation of people, but it's all the voices that have ever lived that are proclaiming all the good things about God that ever were, and you're able to hear them and see them all at once, then you've begun to glimpse the glory of God. That that's what it is. That God is revealed in His goodness, and all of that is revealed in His glory to those who come in contact with Him. So today, one of the things you're also going to see in Scripture is that, that when God's glory is encountered, that people most often experience it as brightness. That, that when they come into contact with God in a way that they see His glory, what they often see is that it is shining, and that it is glowing, and that it is brilliant, and that it is colorful, and that it is overwhelming in how people encounter it. We're going to look at several of those stories and think about what it means for us to be people that see God's glory and reveal God's glory to a world that's desperate for it today. We're going to start in Psalm chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19. The first four verses say this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. The psalmist writes this. If you've ever been out and seen one of those Oklahoma sunsets that makes you grab the person next to you and say, look, 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 look at that color. And it's colors you can't even describe, and the colors don't come in the crayon box, but you see it, and it just lights up the evening sky. That sky is speaking to you in that moment about the glory of God. That which God created reveals to you the glory of the Creator. And it's not just the skies and the sunset. It is all of that is good and beautiful and wonderful in the creation. And so if you just take a moment to think about the most beautiful place in God's natural creation that you've ever been, that moment that you looked out, maybe it was from the top of a mountain, or maybe it was just walking in the woods where you hear the sounds of God's creation all around you, and it just catches your breath. And you think this... God is good. In that moment, you're experiencing what the psalmist writes about, that the creation reveals the glory of the one who made it all. Winterfest several years ago uh, down in Arlington, they gave all the kids a little bit of snow 
They found a way to import snow into Arlington, Texas, and to give it out to the kids. And they worshiped God and praised him for being the one who was creative enough and good enough and wonderful enough to be the God who created snow. What a thing to worship a creator who is so beautifully creative. And so as we begin talking about glory, one of the things that we need to begin with is the reality that God's glory is revealed not just in his presence, but in what he left behind when he created this world for us to live in it. The created reveals the glory of the creator. But we also have a number of passages in scripture where people actually come into the presence of some form of the likeness of God. And I want to look at those because as these people talk about the glory that they see in the presence of God, we get to use them as a way for us to experience and understand what God looks like and what his glory is and what it means. And so I want to look at Ezekiel chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 25, where Ezekiel is receiving this vision. And we can't go over all of it, but it's this vision with four creatures. And they've got heads of animals all around, and they're on wheels that are spinning. And it's one of the more unbelievable and powerful uh, visions that anyone has given in Scripture. But in verse 25, it says, Then there came a voice from above the vault over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli. And high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire. And that from there down, he looked like fire. And brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down and heard the voice of one speaking. And he said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet and I heard him speaking to me. And he said, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt, and you're going to go preach to them. You're going to be my prophet. This is the call to Ezekiel. Ezekiel's standing there, and he sees this vision of one who looks like a man. He is not a man. He is not ordinary. And as Ezekiel sees the glory of God exuding from this figure that is not God, but is in the likeness of God standing before him in this vision, think about what it would be like for Ezekiel, who sees this man from the waist up who is just glowing and the light around him is moving like metal in fire. It's, it's like just flames incarnate in the top half of this being. And from the waist down, he's just fire. He's just burning in flames. And around him, he's glowing and it's bright, but he describes it as a rainbow that's radiating out from this man. And if you imagine all the colors of the rainbow just swirling around someone, and as Ezekiel sees it, he doesn't sit there and go, man, this is really neat. He doesn't see it and say, ooh, man, I've never seen anything like this before. Ezekiel sees the glory of God and drops to his face. 
face down on the ground as flat as he can be, awestruck, terrified, unable to move because of the glory of God. God is not ordinary. And the voice says to Ezekiel, stand up. And between verse 1 and verse 2, it becomes clear that Ezekiel is not able to do that under his own power when in the presence of the glory of God. He can't stand up. This voice has struck him in such a way that he lacks the ability to, to move his knees and get up on his feet. And so the Spirit then comes into Ezekiel and pulls him up in some way that we don't get to fully understand but we know is true. The Spirit pulls Ezekiel up and then it says to him, I'm going to send you to be my prophet, my voice to the people that need to hear my message. And it won't surprise you to know that after Ezekiel has come into the presence of a God who is so filled with this glory that he accepted that call. Because coming into the presence of a God with this kind of glory does not allow us to leave unchanged. You become willing to do whatever it is that, that this God is going to call you to once you've seen and encountered the glory that is the visible manifestation of all of the goodness of God displayed in front of you. How can you do anything other than everything that is asked of you? And when you're going to talk about coming into the glory and the presence of God, you have to look at the story in Exodus of Moses and the giving of the Ten Commandments. So in Exodus chapter 33, God has just given uh, Moses the Ten Commandments, and Moses comes down off the mountain and is just devastated to see that it took him so long to get the law from the Lord up on the mountain that the people Israel have begun to say, we don't even know if this Moses guy is coming back. Let's make a statue, that, and we'll just say this statue of a golden calf is the gods that brought us out of Egypt. Because we don't know where this other God is, and there's some storms going on up on the mountain, and Moses has been up there for 40 days, and maybe we ought to just do whatever we want. And Aaron says, well, if that's what you want, give me all your gold jewelry. And he throws it in the fire, and he crafts their gold jewelry into this golden calf, and they start having a huge, idolatrous, sexual immoral festival around this calf. Moses comes down and he shatters the tablets of stone on which the commandments are written. He takes the calf and he shatters the calf and he breaks it up into pieces and he puts it in the water and the people have to drink it. And then Moses calls out to the people, if anyone wants to stand up for the honor of God against the, in, the horrible things that have been happening at the foot of the mountain, then come to me now. And the Levites came to Moses and he says, go out now and, and attack those who have violated God's law before it was even being done, being written, who have abandoned the one who brought us out of Egypt. And so the Levites go out, and they have this day of civil war in Israel's camp where those who had abandoned and betrayed God were brought down by the sword, and those who were faithful to God uh, were the ones that did it. And even after that, God comes down and says to the people, the sins that you've already committed against me, can I go unpunished? And a plague comes into the camp, and a plague comes in among the people, and there is more suffering and more death because of what the people had done at the foot of the mountain. And it's at that moment that 
that God and Moses get in this argument about what to do, and God says, I'm just going to kill them, and I'll just come, Moses, I'll just bring my covenant through you and your family. And Moses argues with God, and he wrestles with God, and they discuss this, and Moses is able to dissuade God from doing this thing of destroying Israel. And Moses is able to call God to, uh, to his own mercy and forgiveness. And it's in, the, it's in the moments and days after that that this scene arrives where Moses is going to ask to see God's glory. And so in Exodus 33, you've got to hear this conversation. Uh, starting in verse 12, Moses says to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion but, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock, in a cleft in the rock, and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. God is not ordinary. God is not something that we should be casual about. He's close enough and intimate enough to shape us and mold us with his hands, the hands of the potter, but he is not such that we should become bored with him. God says, I can show you my glory, but, but you may not see my face. I'll hide you in a rock and I'll pass by. And after I pass by, I'll remove my hand and you can see my back because I'm telling you, Moses, it's all you can handle. It's all you can handle. So in chapter 34, when, when this comes to pass, the Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks or herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, this is the name of God that is proclaimed with Moses as God passes by holding him in the cleft of the rock safe behind his hand so he's not struck dead by the glory of God that is visible in his face. 
that he can handle the back but nothing more. And as God passes in front of Moses, he proclaims his name. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. God declares his name and what a name it is. And Moses is overwhelmed by what he hears and overwhelmed by what he sees. And he bows to the ground and gives glory to God. In verse 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. So just to be clear, Moses comes down from the mountain, and his face is so bright that his own family and friends run away in terror. So that he has to call them back, and they have to come back to where he is. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. As Moses is getting the commands and the instructions and the, the teachings that God has for his people Israel, when he goes into the presence of God, he comes out and the glory of God is now reflecting on Moses' face. That when he goes into the presence of God and comes out, that he becomes a small and temporary glimpse of the glory of God that the people can't even handle in Moses reflecting to them what he only sees in the back of God because he can't even handle the front of God and the full exposure to God's glory. This is our God. He is not a tame God. He is not a little thing. God is famous, and God is worthy, and God has weight. And then we come to the New Testament passage that was read earlier where Paul is talking to the Corinthians about the way things are happening now and the way that God's glory is being revealed in new and incredible ways to the people of God. And so in Corinthians chapter 3, uh, he writes this, Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Paul says, listen, church, I've got to tell you something. You've heard this story about Moses and how he would go, and with the law and the covenant that brought death, even before it was done being written, people were dying because of this law, and people were being judged because of this law, and though it was good, it was a law of condemnation and death. How much more so if that one was so glorious that Moses' face was shining and he had to cover it? How much more so... Will God's glory be revealed through this covenant of life? 
that comes through the Spirit. If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. We're something else. We don't hide the glory of God. We are to reveal it everywhere we go. And so if you go down to verse 18, Paul writes this, And we all, talking about Christians then and Christians now, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul says, listen, here's the thing. And, and church, we've been on a journey looking at all these stories about God's glory and how incredible it is to behold. And here's what I want you to see, is that Paul believes that through the power and the ministry of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that the Spirit brings us before our very eyes today the glory of God. That we who are God's people see the glory of God because of Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit today. And so when we come together at Selah, when we come together and worship, when we come together and take communion, when we are, are reading scripture, when we're in prayer and the Spirit through all of those things is working on me, the Spirit reveals God's glory to me. And it produces in me in ever increasing ways more and more of God's glory so that I, like Moses, take on some of God's glory to then take it to the world. And so the Spirit is doing two things in the church today. And if you're in the church, He's wanting to do it in you if you don't realize it. And He's wanting to do more of it if you do realize it, is this. One, God through His Spirit wants to bring the glory of God in front of your eyes so that you can see it. And two, God wants His glory to be on your face so that when you leave church today, the world sees it shining in you. That the glory of God is revealed in the people of God. Through the Spirit, we see glory and we reveal glory. We receive it and we share it. And so the questions that we need to end with today are this. Is when you spend time with God and come into His presence, and you go from the place where you have encountered God through the Spirit, can anybody tell? Because when Moses left the tent, everyone knew he'd been in the tent. When we spend time with God, we should leave his presence and the world should be able to tell that we've spent time with God. Does your life, the way that you act, the things that you say, the, things, the way that you treat people, does it make God more famous? Because that's what it means to give glory to God is to give him fame and to give him worth and to make him known in a world that needs to see his glory. And God's plan is to do that in front of us and through us. Do people give worth and honor to God because of the things you did last week? Peter writes to the church uh, that you should do such good works among the pagans that though you, they accuse you of doing wrong, they give glory to God. 
that, that when they see you living the way that Jesus lived and the way that the Bible calls us to live and the way that the Spirit guides us to live, that the world will look at us and say, man, I may not like what they are or who they are worshiping or any of that, but I'll give glory to God because of the way they're doing it. The things I see in their lives. Are you willing this week to do things by the transforming power of the Spirit, not by your own will, but by the Spirit doing things in you and through you that reveal all that is good about God? Are you willing to do it? When people want to see God's face, will you tell them that you can't show them God's face, but you'd be happy to tell them His name and show them some of His glory increasing in you so that the world may know that God is worthy. Will you make him known? Will you make him famous? Because if you're a Christian, that's your job. Father, we end today by asking that you would spend, send your spirit to us, that you would reveal through your spirit your glory, that we might take it upon ourselves in ever-increasing ways, being transformed into your image, going out into the world, revealing to them who you are, why you are good, why you are great, why you are worthy of praise. Father, help us through the spirit to make you famous. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good.